Hello, and welcome to the Still To Be Determined podcast, the podcast that follows up on topics from the YouTube channel Undecided with Matt Farrell. I am not Matt Farrell. I sound a lot like him, but I'm not him. I also look a lot like him. Still not him. <laughs> I'm Sean Farrell. I'm a writer, and I'm the older brother of Matt Farrell. Matt Farrell is here as well to say hello. Hello, everybody. Today we're going to be talking about Matt's most recent episode, which was The Truth About Hydropower, Is Tidal Energy the Future? This was from December 1st, 2020. December 1st, December 2020. We are, we're in the home stretch. We're almost, <laughs> almost there. done. Almost there. So first thing out of the gate, uh, there were a few comments that caught my eye and it occurred to me as I was watching the video, you're talking about hydropower and then you ask the question, is tidal energy the future? And the answer very well may be yes. But when it came to talking about tidal energy production, there seemed to be less of that than other forms of hydropower. And mm -hmm. I was wondering why refer to tidal energy specifically when there was far more of just the broader term of hydropower. It's a, it's a fair point. It, it's a very fair critique. It was, it's because I kind of end, sort of end on the point of that there's more technologies at play that are going to improve on the downsides of hydropower. And that is a lot of the different techniques in tidal power, the kind of in a broad term tidal power, where I only vaguely touched on a couple of small points of it, where I probably should have spent more time talking about that. I, probably, I should probably make another video where I deal with less in the general terms of hydropower at large and more of just tidal power right. and dive into all the different forms of that. Because there's quite a few different ways, like three or four different kind of techniques in that realm that are really kind of cool. Yeah. And yeah. I didn't really dive into them. So it's a very fair critique. Two responses to that. The first is if you do make a second video, I strongly recommend that you use the theme song from the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles and change turtle power to tidal power. To tidal power. Because <laughs> it works perfectly. <laughs> tidal power. <laughs> the other thing is saying the phrase that there was title in the title is extremely difficult to say. Yes. So it's, it's like a warm up it's like a warm up for theater. Exactly. <laughs> There were a couple of things in this video that I thought were astounding images of effectively science fiction. I felt partway through watching it, I was like, we're living in a world, if there was a Venn diagram showing the area between Blade Runner and the overlap with Akira, we're somewhere <laughs> in that overlap. It really is kind of dumbfounding. The there was a power production. It looked like a power production boat that was yeah. had a had a water turbine in yeah. the middle of the boat, so the <laughs> boat could literally just park anywhere and yeah. create water product or uh, energy production. And those little turtle-looking things that sit on the bottom of the river. And you made the point of saying if the water is only going five miles per hour, it still creates energy. And those little things, I, I thought. You could see like a some city or a state could could see those along the bottom of a river for literally miles. You could have massive energy farms that you couldn't yeah, even see yeah. that would be underwater. And some of it really looked to me like the idea of mobility. And that's interesting for a number of reasons. 
one of which is unfortunately, I imagine there's some people who are thinking in terms of energy production in the face of environmental crises and the ability to actually relocate energy production or to avoid energy production being impacted by something like some of those river hydropower plants could be impacted by flooding. They could effectively yeah. be destroyed by a flood. But if you have energy production that's based on boats and barges, or if it's completely submerged to begin with, that doesn't happen. So right. I think that that's fascinating. I, the, the example of that one with the boat, I think that boat was there mainly for um, tracking the energy that's generated of the thing that was on the bottom. Mm -hmm. But you're correct that a lot of these things are small enough that you could literally like pick them up and move them around. The, the challenge would be, Sean, is that you're also having to wire them into the grid. So it's like, right. it, it's almost like if you had a boat, you'd have to have energy storage on the boat that would be storing the energy that those things are right. creating that then you could dump elsewhere. The, the, bo the boat itself could be the battery station. Right. That's part of what drew me to this was that this is a very, these smaller, more modular ways of generating power compared to building a gigantic freaking dam. It just opens up the world of possibilities of where you can do this. And there are so many rivers around the world that you could start to tap into for energy that just, it wouldn't make sense to build a dam, but you can do this all over the place. And these things are far safer that we know of right now for the wildlife. Mm -hmm. um, so it's like you, you have a smaller footprint of damage to the environment by using these. And then you still get the benefit of generating the electricity. It's like, there's just so much cool stuff going on here. Mm -hmm. And it kind of relates to the collaboration I had with Terra Mater on their video is that a lot of these have massive impacts on the environment that you don't consider. Mm. Like I, I had never even heard of the sediment buildup issues that happen with dams and the sediment buildups that happen with dams. <laughs> they put out the rotting material puts out enough CO2 equivalent into the atmosphere of like what a coal power plant would be putting out. It's like, well, that kind of defeats the purpose <laughs> right. of, of green energy with a hydropower dam if, you know, we have to, the sediment issue becomes a, becomes a problem. Or the salmon ladders that are built for salmon to supposedly swim up the ladders, well, it's been proven that those sometimes don't work. And then there's fish that can't even use them. Like eels can't use those ladders, so the eels are stranded, but the salmon can keep going up the stream. Right. So it's like there's... See ya. Tons of it. Yes. Wouldn't want to be ya. It's um, <laughs> it's there's so many issues with this kind of stuff that I've brought it up before. Of there is no way to not have an impact on the environment. Yeah. Just by us living, we're having an impact on the environment. Yeah. It's all about just trying to find intelligent ways to live more in sync with the environment and to minimize that damage. Yeah. And so that's what the these smaller technologies got me so excited about was it. I was going to say that you brought up a good point there, which is that critique of my video. I think I bit off more than I could chew for this video. It, it's there's so much I could have gone into and I kind of went into half of it. Mm -hmm. And because I only did that, it, it created this situation where I kind of put myself in a corner where I didn't cover as much as I could have covered on the topic. Right. Maybe you, maybe in your mind you were thinking title because you were doing research that was taking you to title. But then when you actually wrote the script, you ended got, up it, leaving it too much title back. out. Yeah. It, it got That's, paired back. Yeah. This, this, the script, if I had done it in the original draft, would have been 25 minutes long. <laughs> right. 
I think that this <laughs> that takes me to my my final point about this this video. I definitely agree with your earlier statement. You should do a follow up video, and I would even yeah. argue that you should do a follow up to the follow up if you have material to do that. Maybe that you've got enough content that you could break it up into multiple sections because I think this is very important information and I think it's very useful information to have. It definitely had responses globally in the comments. People from Norway were coming in and saying, oh, we've got things just like this that somebody mentioned that they're, they have a hydroelectric dam in Norway which actually has the potential to store enough water for years worth of energy production. Because you mentioned That's months yeah. in yep. one of the dams that you were talking about and this viewer pointed out they have they have one that can hold enough water for years and somebody else pointed out that many of the hydroelectric sources in Norway are very small scale so they're very tightly it's a it's a grid that's created out of lots of small pockets as opposed to one yep. large source yep. um and of course they have you know in Norway the the fjords are everywhere so it's like I'm, mm -hmm. I imagine that they're environment is probably full of small rivers that that is why they do it in that in that sort of uh quilt like version as opposed to one hard you know one large source taking care of all of it yep but i think that one of the things that i came to at the end was i know in my own and we and i you and i've talked about this before my interest in sci-fi my interest in technology my interest in science um I've read about things in the past, like tidal energy production in the North Sea that was being researched in the form of what looked like effectively long interconnected floats that between them had small turbines that as these things would rest on the top of the water and rise and fall with the motion of the yes. waves, which in the North yes. Sea is those those waves are enormous all of that energy getting converted by these turbines into small amounts of energy that then are through lines run back to the mainland yeah. and i started wondering the last time i read about that was literally more than a decade ago i i can't i couldn't even tell you when it was that's um, one of the things I cut out of my script. <laughs> right. That's what I was wondering is what were the sorts of things that didn't make the cut? If you were to give us a little preview of, of not all of them, I, I wouldn't want you to basically give your video away here. But if there were two or three things that you were willing to say, like here were some things that didn't make the cut and you might talk about in the future. It's it's along those lines of it's uh, buoys that basically have turbines inside of them so that as they're going up and down, as the water waves are going up and down, it's basically like water trapped in a tube that's going up and down through this turbine, turning it, and you're getting energy out of that. Um, uh, tidal energy, there's a form of tidal energy which behaves very much like a, a typical dam where you basically have kind of a... I don't want to say it's like blocking off the water completely, but you have a structure that goes all the way down to the bottom, kind of like a little wall. And at the base of the wall is basically a tube that has a generator uh, turbine in the middle of it. And so the the rising tides coming in and going out mm -hmm. are kind of forced to flow through that one opening at the bottom, creating the energy. Hmm. Um, one of the reasons I pulled that from this video and that would have been another one of those great examples of tidal energy but one of the reasons i pulled it from this one is because i was partnering with that other channel and we were kind of doing this kind of tag team on like 
what is it? And on my side, it's what is hydropower? And on their side was, here's the impact on the environment. Mm. And I pulled that because it's, it, there was a lot of similarities between a typical like dam, like the Hoover Dam, and, to, and that there's a potential environmental downside to that approach. Mm. And so I thought it was kind of like just, it's another example of something that's kind of in a similar vein. So just pull it. And that was probably my mistake. Mm -hmm. um, but there was a company I came across, I can't remember the name of them off the top of my head, but they have, it was a combination. It was like a, we have all these different forms of renewable energy. Let's put them all into one thing and be crazy about it. And it was an offshore uh, wind turbine base station that floats hmm. and you could put it way off into the ocean. <laughs> these things are huge, by the way. And you have this gigantic turbine that's floating there on this big like oil rig looking thing. And the giant pontoons that are keeping it floating have inside of them those wave energy generators. Hmm. And then on the top of those buoys on the edge of these, this, this platform are mini wind turbines. So you have mega, mega wind turbine in the middle, a whole bunch of little ones around the edge. And then the, the tidal generators <laughs> in the base, it was just like, it's just a crazy pants. When you saw it, when I looked at all the diagrams and they're, they're building out pilot demonstrator plants that they're going to be testing this stuff on. It was like, they are literally taking every form of energy they can capture between wind and water mm -hmm. they are putting into the system so that basically every p possible way you can capture energy energy they're capturing it right um is it but the reason you probably haven't seen a lot so you said like a decade ago is because those tidal buoy generators they don't generate much electricity right it's really low and the cost of making them is still crazy high right you have to follow the dollars. It's like, follow the money. And it's like, right now, there's no money to be made in it yet because they're still trying to perfect the systems for mass scale production to get the costs more in line. Right. So until that happens, you're not going to see it really too much in the wild. It's fascinating though. Yeah. In no, my it's, mind, it's really I had cool an stuff. image, as you were describing that power station, in my mind, I saw a car battery with a bunch of nine volt and double A batteries glued to it. <laughs> Yes. And then on top of those tiny little watch batteries. Yes. And like, I started to think as you were saying all of that, I thought, why no solar panels? I mean, it just doesn't stop. <laughs> well, well no, no joke. I, you actually could. So it's like that company's basic premise was the wind isn't blowing like consistently. Right. But the tide is always going up and down. And so by combining all these different things together, you're creating a higher baseline of energy production from this thing. Lowering the overall can, cost. Not just lowering the cost, but making it more consistent so that right. you're getting a base level amount of, you can basically count on, it's always going to be producing this amount of energy. Right. And then at times it'll be ramping way up beyond that. So that's kind of the way we were, they were looking at it. And it's, it's really quite cool. Um, so I might be diving into that in a future video, but. That sounds great. We'll see. That's yeah. neat. Sounds very sci-fi. It's very, very sci-fi. I loved some of the images in the video and I couldn't help. I, I mean, I'm a big fan. I'm not a big fan of dystopias. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm a big fan of dystopic fiction and I couldn't help. But as I was watching the video, turning some of those shots into the sort of like cobbled together 
things that you would see from a movie like yeah. Akira. Oh, this like yeah. you know, little machines running and you're not quite sure what the machine does, but somebody thinks it's important and it's really cool. Yeah. <laughs> so transitioning now to the second half of our show, as usual, we'll be talking a little bit about things that we're doing to while away the pandemic hours. Eventually, hopefully, I'll be able to say just whiling away our spare time instead of the pandemic hours. Yeah. But for now, unfortunately... As I've said in the past about the pandemic, it's really difficult. It's a real thing and it's really scary. And right now here in the U.S., it is proving to be a very difficult thing for people to take seriously. We hope people are staying safe and we hope people are taking it seriously. And we know how difficult it is. I've said before, just a few weeks ago, I believe it was, this is the time of year when normally Matt and I would be seeing each other. We would be yep. seeing our parents, our families would be getting together and that's not happening. And I haven't seen our parents in more than a year and that's difficult. Yeah. It's a difficult yeah, it thing is. to do. So I hope people are staying safe. I hope people are doing the right things. I hope people are, are giving caution and advice to people in their lives who may be a little less cautious and, um, in the past five days, there have been a million new cases in the Which U.S. Which is nuts. That is so nuts. And it's really, it's not acceptable. No. It's not. It's a, avoidable. It's, it's avoidable. So please, people, do what you can. But in the meantime, we'll talk about what we've been doing while we are staying inside and social distancing. And I will start with a program that has been around for a couple of years on Netflix. Surprise, surprise, I'm not going to be talking about The Mandalorian. <laughs> but we could. <laughs> we, we could. I haven't seen the newest episode, so that's why I'm not oh, mentioning boy. it. I'm not talking about it for that reason alone. Yeah. Uh, but uh, side note to The Mandalorian, and this is not what I was going to talk about, but I did read about it today. Uh, filming on the Obi-Wan Kenobi show has oh, wow. begun. And it is being filmed in Boston, England, not Boston, Massachusetts, but Boston. I won't watch England. it then. I'm not going to watch it. Yeah. I'm very disappointed. Yeah. But uh, seeing news that it was actually filming was like, what? What? <laughs> what I was originally going to talk about right now was a show that we just tried out for the first time last night. And it was basically the Great British Baking Show meets the Gong Show. It's nailed it. I don't know oh, if anybody. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I've, and I've seen it. Yeah. It is in no way, it's not a cooking show. No. It is a game show, but it is because of the host um, and the judges. I think it yeah. is a little bit more than just a game show. It is a nice mix of sarcastic wit, improvised response, and just sort of a feel good. It reminded me of the great British baking show in the form of they are laughing at the creations that these people come up with, but they do it in a loving way. And in the cooking moments where the, the contestants are trying to recreate fabulous looking bakes and failing miserably, all the judges are basically saying things that are a mixture of, I can't believe how bad that looks. And I love that person. Yeah. So it's a nice balance of like, Oh, look at her, bless her heart. She's trying so hard. And what broke me last night was the moment in one of the shows where 
a woman who described herself as a full-time grandma. I still don't know what that means. How are you a part-time grandma? <laughs> was given a was given a a perk for the final round of the competition, which was she could freeze time for three minutes. She could hit this button, and the other two contestants wouldn't be able to do anything for three minutes. And when she enacted this, she hit the button and then proceeded to, on her very arthritic knees, very slowly walk back to the pantry at the back of the studio, <laughs> which took most of the three minutes. Yes. And the judge and the host were laughing and the host pointed out, I can't believe, I love that she froze time and then proceeded to just slowly walk to the back of the studio. <laughs> it is, it's a kind of fun, positive spirit. And yeah. I enjoyed that. And the other thing I wanted to talk about was another thing that for the very first time last night came across it, even though it is something I've known about for years and it's the movie Chef. I haven't watched that yet. I've been meaning to watch it. It is also on Netflix. And mm -hmm. for people who don't know, it's written and directed by Jean Favreau, who is, of course, the creative uh, force behind The Mandalorian. He's also been the director and involved in, I'm guessing right now, just off the top of my head, at least five live action Disney films that I can think yes. of. Lion King, yep. Jungle Book. He, he's the guy behind those. Directed Iron Man. He was in the Iron Man movies. He's just a all-around likable guy, and this movie really kind of reintroduced me to his talent. Not that I've ignored it, but he's been off screen in so many of the things he's been involved in. Yeah. And so many of the things that he's been involved in have also been things that don't necessarily fall onto my plate. I'm not really inclined to go see the live-action Lion King. I'm like, that's not mine. I, I just, I'm not that interested in it, but seeing him in this, seeing how fine of an actor he is and also getting a sense of what a good director he is in the, the, the movie. It is a movie that like so many other films about the workaholic person really trying to reconnect and understanding what family is. You've seen that story a thousand times. When you have that story, it's all about the nuance and the touches of, of realism or at least depth that the writer, director, performers can bring to it. And what mm -hmm. he manages to do in this movie is take that very basic skeleton of the person understanding it's, it's the story of a Christmas carol. You know, it's, not a, it's not a Christmas movie, but that's effectively the skeleton of a Christmas carol. person who works too hard is isolating himself suddenly realizes, wait a minute, what is really important to me? And seeing him do it in such lovely touches in this movie, and he gets a really stellar performance out of a young boy who's only 10, I think, in the making of the film. And overall, the entire movie just really hit all the right notes for me and really left me feeling like this was the right movie right now. So mm -hmm. I strongly encourage people to check it out. Well, there were two things I wanted to bring up. And both of these are, there's, you're going to sense a theme between these two things. I, <laughs> like our mother, sometimes like to watch bad movies deliberately, mm -hmm. um, bad TV shows deliberately. Uh, sometimes there's an enjoyment out of them because even though they may not be the greatest, there's, they tried really hard. <laughs> like, there's, an, there's an element to it that's enjoyable and that's good entertainment for 
um, background viewing, you're doing something else, you're half watching, but you just want to have something on. Uh, so these two shows are in that realm, but one of them is actually turning into, no, I must genuinely watch this. Okay, so the first one is CW has made all of these DC Universe TV shows like, you know, Arrow and The Flash, and they're surprisingly good. They're teen soap opera-ish kind of things, and like, but they're good. They're good. But for those shows tend to, for me, after a few seasons, wear thin because there's the soap opera drama that's kind of like, ugh, enough of that already, um, gets a little old. Um, so I kind of watched the flash for a few years, watched arrow for a few years. Well, they have a new one that came out, I think last year, or was it maybe this year? Um, star girl and it's on HBO max. I have no idea who star girl is. <laughs> no clue whatsoever. Uh, she's an actual comic book hero. There's a whole bunch of characters around it. There are there's fans of this thing. It's like, I've never heard of this character. I was like, okay, they're, they're drudging the bottom of the barrel for this stuff now. But I was looking for something to just throw on the back of the TV while I was like, you know, doing some work and <laughs> I opened up HBO max and it was one of the title cards. And I was like, ah, well, let's see what this is. So I watched it. And to my surprise, Luke Wilson is in the show. And when I saw Luke come on the screen, I was like, what 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 how how what was going on here <laughs> this is this is strange maybe i have to more than half watch it maybe i'll three quarters watch this i was shockingly surprised that it was a very fun show i thought it was going to be a very teen drama you know high school kind of thing and she is in high school but that's not the thrust of the show it's 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 a superhero story of her discovering her powers trying to f- she's her father's been absent and she thinks her father was, you know, Starman and her stepfather turns out to be Starman's sidekick. So he's kind of like shepherding, shepherding, I can't even speak, shepherding her through the process uh, of discovering her abilities. Um, and that's Luke Wilson. It's, it's basically a Superman story. Uh, I'm really enjoying it. It's, it's not great TV. It's not great TV. The acting is adequate it's fine the writing is fine but it's this very light-hearted show that's very there's a element of fluff to it of just fun to it Mm -hmm. where it's good to put on the background just watch so there's that the second thing (laughs) i can't wait to bring this up (laughs) it's on peacock oh yes (laughs) saved by the bell oh really saved by the bell the original show is awful and i was in <laughs> i was in college i think when it was on tv and i remember it would be on the background i was in some, college yeah i was in college when it was on it was yeah pro- it, it, it it gained was on for like seven years it gained a huge yeah it gained a huge syndication yeah popularity and i had friends in college who watched as well so by the time you were in college it was definitely on yes so i'm in college I never actually genuinely watched the show, but I had friends and roommates that would put it on the backgrounds. I would hear, you know, 10 minutes of an episode here, five minutes there. And I knew the theme song because I would hear it all the time when it would be on the background. And it's like that show to me was like nails on a chalkboard. It's awful. The comedy is like so broad, so dumb. It's It's that three's company sense of humor where it's like, 
if these two people just talked to each other, right. this entire thing would not be happening. Um, just com- complete stupidity. Well, this show <laughs> is genuinely amazing. I cannot tell you how good this show is. You're talking about the reboot. It is, yeah, the reboot. Yeah. It's a brand new show that has a bunch of the original actors from the show as adults. And so Zach... Okay, let me back up. The creator, the showrunner of this new show clearly recognizes that the old, old show is awful. That it's awful. Mm-hmm. And if you look at the show through a realistic lens, Zach, who is kind of the hero of the original show, he's a monster. He is yeah. an absolute monster. He terrorizes the principal and never gets in trouble for it. He does all of these awful things to people and never gets in trouble for it. He just lives this privileged life and it's just, it's, he is an absolute sociopathic monster. Now, fast forward to the future, you have this new showrunner going, he's a monster, let's make him a monster. Zach now, as an adult, is the governor of California. Right. And he's basically a Trumpian thing, where he's not out for evil, obviously, but he's, it's Zach. And so it's like, he doesn't know his ass from an elbow. And it's just like, he makes... He had to balance the budget, so he balanced the budget, and by balancing the budget, he cut billions of dollars from the education fund, which ended up having to shut down a whole bunch of like low-income area schools. And so then, when he's confronted with that, the, the reporters basically say to him, "Why are you going to ship these students to better schools, like your school, Bayside?" And he gets cornered. He's like, "Yeah, yeah, that's what we're going to do." So the show centers on like three students from one of these schools that were shut down being sent to Bayside. And here's why it's this show is so good is that Bayside exists in this weird privileged bubble just like the original show. So every character that's in the the new show, Zach's kid Mac is at Bayside. And so you're following the kids, some of the kids of the original show at Bayside living this privileged life and then you have these three kids coming in from this low income school being like, what the F is going on here? And it's just like, because they're all doing the same stupid, you know, I met this blonde girl that's so cute. It's my love of my life. And his friend goes, I met this blonde girl this morning. It's a love of my life. It's like, we all know it's the same girl. It's like one of those jokes. (laughs) And like these girls are like watching this conversation. They're going, you do know it's the same girl. You do know that it's like, they're pointing out the obvious of what's going on. And the, the way that they film the Bayside stuff, it's bright colors, it's filmed, it looks like the original show where it's just like over the top, super saturated, just mm-hmm. like crazy polished. But whenever they're outside of that school, it looks like a real show, like right. a normal show. Like the colors aren't quite as saturated, it's a little more realistic. And these girls that you're following from the low-income school and, and the guy that's in that from the school as well, they're all acting as us, the viewer, right. because they're stating the obvious and looking at the camera at times and freezing the freezing the action and looking at the audience going, wait, can you, you believe, believe what they just said? Right. And so they're constantly doing that. And the show is hysterical. It is so funny and it's so edgy and it has a real thing it's trying to say and it has an actual dynamic that's compelling. And it's just, it's really cool to see how not only are these kids from the real world slowly starting to chip away at that facade of the original show of those characters that live in this bubble, 
but those people that live in the bubble are starting to kind of do the same thing to them. Mm-hmm. And so it's kind of cool to see how it's, how they're affecting each other in that way. And there's also this, of course, in this environment of Black Lives Matter and the reckoning that we're going through right now, the show deals directly with that and makes fun of it, of white moms trying to help these inner city youth and they're overdoing it in a very inappropriate way. And these girls pointing that out and being like, what do we do here? (laughs) And one of the characters' names, last names is actually white lady. (laughs) (laughs) It's <laughs> just amazing. It's a very funny show. I, if you have Peacock, the first episode is free to watch. So even if you don't have a subscription, you can just watch the first episode. It's really funny. And my wife and I have watched three episodes so far, and it has gotten funnier each one in. So I'm three episodes in and can I can at this point, I don't know how the rest of the season goes, but these first three episodes are so amazing. I would definitely recommend watching it. One last thing I wanted to touch on before we sign off was the recent news that Warner Brothers is planning to release theatrical films at the same time on HBO Max. So this is huge. This this is is huge. huge. And this is a change to movie consumption that the pandemic is going to have a lasting legacy in what it's done to the way we live. It's no different than things that happened after the Spanish flu epidemic pandemic a hundred years ago and we're going to be doing similar things where life will be different and it's possible that we are now entering a future where movie theater chains will not exist in quite the same way movies will not exist in the same way (laughs) and it will be interesting to see what happens with this this is something that i know steven soderbergh had been pushing for this kind of bilateral release for more than a decade he has been pushing for there should be movie theaters that show the movies that they want to. And then those movies should also be available for streaming widely. And he has experimented with different ways of doing that with a number of different films that he's done. And it's happening with his current film, which is being released via, uh, I believe it's HBO Max. But the fact that there are going to be movies like Dune and The Matrix 4 being released. Coming into streaming. Streaming for free. For free. <laughs> Assuming you have a subscription, it's not yeah. free. That's the thing. It's not free. It but is you're just, ten, you're talking about paying 10 bucks a month. Right. And you're, you're going to have a list, big tentpole movies that you're going to watch as a see family at home at, for yes. that fee. Yes. It's so much cheaper and more enjoyable because you don't have to deal with the crowds. It's yes. going to be, this is the death knell of movie theaters. This is, they claim that this is for one year, that this is for 2021 only. But just months before, they had said they were going to do Wonder Woman in December this way. And they were like, oh, this is just a one-off. Right. And then like a month later, they're like, we're doing this for an ent- entire year now. And it's just a one-off. It's like, if this works, it's they're going to keep doing this. It, this is, I also think that what we're looking at is potentially the return of art house cinema, where yeah. movie theaters will be, I don't think you'll see chains. I think you'll see smaller locally owned film houses that will do much more regional and locally curated showings and lots of things like I can imagine film houses surviving on doing retrospectives, doing lots of classic film returns and doing things that would be the occasional big picture new release. But I think that it could open up in certain communities that could support them a lot more of 
an art house vibe to cinema and make cinema feel a little bit more like theater as opposed to what it currently is, which is everything blasted on big screens just because that's how you make the money. If there's, if this is able to support movie making, which as an industry, I would hate to see that industry fold. I would hate to see it shrink. Um, but it could be for a very interesting change in the next few years because we're not going to be able to go back to theaters anytime soon. When you look at the finances of this, you're like, how are they going to make money? This just made HBO Max a must-have for all of 2021. Right. And it's going to make it so that you're not going to want to sign up and then sign out and sign up and sign out to save money because it's like, why would you do that when there's all these movies coming out all year long that you'll be able to watch? It's a fascinating move that they're doing. And they, there's a potential that they will actually make more money doing this than if they had released it in the theater because they don't have to split the money with the theaters. Right. Because there's certain periods of those runs where they're splitting the revenue 50-50 with the theaters. Right. So... A movie makes a billion dollars in box office. Well, that money is not a billion dollars to MGM That's or, or Warner Brothers. That's like, you know, a fraction of that going to them. And then marketing costs getting taken out of that. So it's like, if it's all on HBO Max, suddenly they don't have to split the money with the theater, which means every dollar they make from their subscriptions goes right into their pocket. And then on top of that, you, you, you just made an entire year worthwhile to subscribe to HBO Max. Right. How many new subscribers are they going to get? How many millions of people are they going to get? It's just, My hope is that it's that, insane. It's that insane. changes the way that the movie industry is talked about because everything you're pointing out right now is a demonstration of how success is measured in dollars. And that is not helpful for good filmmaking. And the one thing that this, I'm, I'm not disagreeing with what you're saying at all. I'm saying it, one of the things that I think could come out of this is success could be measured in views as opposed to dollars. And that's a different, that's a different metric. And I think that that would benefit certain films that might not otherwise get produced because there is the, well, we would never be able to recoup our money. If you have effectively these massively large films like the matrix Four and Dune effectively supporting the movie theaters, the movie studio's willingness to make a, what would arguably be a mid-level success, being able to, those big things could support the smaller things. But at the same time, part of what makes me sad, I'm a fan of films. And one of the things that you, is kind of fun to kind of keep tabs on is the box office because it allows you to gauge apples to apples how each movie has done compared to another one. And if we're basically everybody's going to their corner with their ball and their own proprietary streaming networks, we will never know how any of these movies did because they will never release those numbers. So it's like, we're not going to know how many streams Wonder Woman got. We're not going to know how much money Wonder Woman made that company. So it's like, it's all black box when this happens. So as a fan of films, you'll never quite know what films are resonating, which ones aren't, other than some very unscientific kind of like divining that we'll have to do on the outside of how much is this movie getting talked about in the public and that that to me is kind of sad because it's gonna make it harder to judge apples to apples all of these different films to each other and see how they're actually resonating with the public i hear what you're saying but to me that sounds more akin to what goes on in in book publishing and apples to apples for me has never been the biggest way for me to I don't find myself wanting to see or wanting to analyze a film based on 
how much money it's made versus what is happening within the film. And I think that one of the ways that we will see um, how things are resonating is whether or not companies are willing to continue making more of that product. You know, you see a film come out and you love it. And two years later, they're coming out with the sequel. I think you know what the first one did for the company. They, they're, yeah. you're going to, you're going to see it demonstrated in whether or not the stories continue. And there have been things that have come out on Netflix and Netflix is notorious for, it doesn't share its numbers. No, but that's what I'm saying. It's like, it's, it's, it's not the, it's not the money that I'm tied to. It's the, how many tickets were sold for that film? How many people wanted to, how many people wanted to see it? And it's like, we will not have that information ever again going down this path. And that's kind of what makes me sad. It was like, ah, because right. it's all a black box. And it's that ba- black box that's kind of disappointing. If those movies keep getting made, I don't care. But it's at the same right. time, it's easy to divine that if you know how many tickets people were sold to see that movie. You're like, wow, that movie was very popular. They're probably going to make a sequel. Right. Where now it's kind of like, are they going to make a sequel? They're not talking about it. It's been two years. Maybe they're not. It's like, that's kind of where we're ending up. And that's, right. that's kind of disappointing as a, as, a, as a film fan to not have those insights anymore. It is a major change. I'm curious as to what our listeners think about that change. Will it change the way you consume films? And how many of you out there are desperately clamoring for the ability to go back to movie theater or is transitioning in this major step toward just staying home for a majority of the time and watching these things at home? Is that preferable? Let us know what you think. You can find our contact information in the podcast description. And as usual, the podcast is available everywhere. (laughs) You know where podcasts are. You're listening to this one. You need me to tell you where to find me? No. (laughs) You're all smarter than that. Please do subscribe. That is, of course, very helpful to us. Please give us a rating or view and do share us with your friends. All of those things really do help the podcast. The podcast really does help the channel the channel really does help Matthew and then Matthew misses the box office scores (laughs) we'll talk to you next time everybody thanks so much for listening I will be right back I need to use the restroom okay oh boy really doing the pee-pee dance at the end of that. (laughs) Talking about all that water. That's right. Exactly. (laughs) It was way too much for me. So tell me about how many, how many thousands of gallons is that? Does it really flow? Does it really, is it, is it, uh, is it quite a relief when all that water flows? Finally, after they've held it back in the dam for so long, for months, <laughs> or potentially even years, depending on what region of the world they're in, does it feel like, like, oh, thank God, they finally let it go and just let it flow back to where it belongs? Just, I, I got to go generate my own power. And they, and they can stop thinking about it every day. Every moment of their waking life is spent thinking, I can't, all this water has been retained and held and, and nobody is doing anything with it. It's just there, like a constant pressure, like a nightmare. And they finally let it flow. Do they feel like, oh, now I can die. Now I can die.